Welcome to Two Therapist Tales, a podcast where Jacqueline Sabodi and Anna Zonin work to normalize conversations about mental health. Welcome back to Two Therapist Tales. I'm Jacqueline Sabodi. And I'm Anna Zonin. And today we are focusing on what it's like to start therapy. Yay. <laughs> um, I mean, I was kind of thinking like, what was it like to start being a therapist also? Right. Right. Yeah. It's also scary. <laughs> yes. I remember um, like at age 12, like telling my dad, like, um, I think I want to be a social worker. And he's like, no, no, being a doctor. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> but it, you know, in prestige. Hi- yeah. In hindsight, um, I think I was just always kind of mystified by people and their stories. And, you know, so here we are. Absolutely. Two decades later. <laughs> I know. Yeah. For me, it was, I think, later on. But uh, I mean, it came later Later on. I mean, it was always there, but it was just the journey was uh, a little different, right? I had, I was in media and I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> and in, in a weird way, I sometimes think like, okay, I'm like, this is um, when I, when used to, when I used to run groups, I was like, okay, I'm kind of like in front of an audience almost. Theatrical. To a, to a, theatrical. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, to a degree. But um um, yes, you know, becoming a therapist is also, you know, am I doing it right? Am I, you know, all these things go through our heads as well. So absolutely. Yeah. So let's start with just maybe um, what it's like to start a first session or kind of just the process of like calling, you know, seeking out what that kind of looks like. Right. So I think, um, you know, it depends, right? People seek therapy for very many different Mm -hmm. reasons. Um, You know, just looking at, I guess, some of the people that we have, we see that come into our rooms, there's such a variety Mm -hmm. of, um, um, I want to say presenting issues that they come in with. Yeah, right. You know, it could be, you know, we treat people who have chronic mental illness or substance Mm -hmm. abuse, but then there are people that go through life transitions, Mm -hmm. you know, or they're going through a divorce or Mm -hmm. they're having a difficult time um, with one of their children Mm -hmm. or, you know, they're having a difficult time at work, whatever it is. There's Mm -hmm. so many, such a variety of things that you can um, need to come in for because you're having a hard time or um, you need some support in navigating whatever is happening in your life currently. Yeah, I think a good first step is to write down you know, what is it that has been plaguing me? What is it that I've been going through? Kind of like what you're saying. Um, Maybe like how long have I seen it um, been disrupting my life? And also just some goals, right? So what am I hoping to get out of therapy? Is it just simply a place and a person in a container for me to put some of these um, issues that have been plaguing me? Or is it that I want to work on my relationships? Or is it that I want to understand and prioritize self-care, right? So like, what are the issues? And then like, what are the goals? I think that's like a good first step. Right. What What are you looking for? Yeah. And then I think um, the next thing that is definitely important, I always encourage this um, when people are asking about seeing a therapist and can I see you? And no, you can't see me. I'm your best friend. Or, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you free therapy. Um to do some research. So I always um, use the analogy that starting therapy is like test driving um, new cars. Like you wouldn't just like get this new car and like do no research. Like you would, you know, go on some websites, you would like ask some questions, you would go test drive. So starting therapy ought to be just like that. Um, I know part of like being a therapist is like kind of selling some of our skills, right? Like Mm -hmm. what um, what do we specialize in? What are we trained in? What is our ideal client? And so when we start with a, uh, a new client, we can ensure that it, it is actually going to be a, the right fit. You know, 
for example, you know, neither of us um, specialize in eating disorders or substance use. And so um, it would be um, unethical um, <laughs> and more advantageous for a client to see someone that has training and a background in that. So I think that's important as well. Right. So and then I guess reaching out, um, like you said, researching and there are a variety of ways of reaching out and finding mm-hmm. somebody that you want to speak to. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of people ask uh, other people and mm-hmm. if they know somebody. But I think also a lot of people are afraid and then there's a stigma surrounding that. So they're like, OK, we don't I don't want to know anybody mm-hmm. to know that this is what I'm going through and this is what I have to want to do. Um, so, you know, then some people just do their own research, I guess, on online or whatever it is and try to find somebody within their area. Yeah. Um, Psychology Today, right, is, yes. a, is a great source yep. Um, yep. of finding somebody within your area who kind of fits your needs. You could put in, you know, insurances that they take and what exactly. they specialize in. Um, so that's a great tool, I guess, to find people around you. Yeah, I think um, also um, if you're if you need to go and utilize your insurance, you know, obviously right. you go online or you can call your insurance provider and you can ask um, just for some names, like Anna said, in your area. And um, what we what I would suggest is taking that list and, again, just like going through it, see if people have websites or see if um, these clinicians have a listing on psychology today, like Anna mentioned, and you can see their picture and you can um, kind of see how they present themselves and you can read their bios. And so there's this step before calling where you – feel like you're maybe building a bit of a connection with that person before even picking up the phone because that can be really daunting. Um, And I also, you know, garner support from other people in your life that maybe are open to therapy or that are in therapy because they can be um, really great advocates and allies in your process. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other websites other than Psychology Today. That I think there are. I just don't remember off the top of my head what yeah. there are. I think there's one specific one, like a collective of therapists also for like um, if you can't afford – some of the prices can be hefty. I, I just – honest to God, don't remember the name of the website. Um, and I think there's one other one, but I don't remember. <laughs> so, wow, yeah. that's bad. So your insurance company, Psychology Today. And some other ones. And asking around. <laughs> <laughs> so – we have step one, you know, write down some of your issues, how long they've been going on, write some goals. Step two, you know, just doing a little bit of research, you know, and then the first call, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Huge, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's so anxious and nervous mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. And I think the sometimes the first uh, encounter you, that you have is an insanely important in feeling comfortable enough to actually make the first step and then go in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that um, – there can be a lot of apprehension and uncertainty. Um, if people don't call back, you know, um, try someone else. If, if someone doesn't call back, that person's not meant for you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of trust the process. The other thing, again, the analogy of test driving cars, like you may not find the right one. Like you may have a first session with a couple different people. Um, I know like personal share, like I've had some therapists that like really just didn't work out, you know, for couple different reasons and that's okay um so also just try not to be discouraged although it can be hard because obviously you're opening up your heart and you're you know bearing a lot of your vulnerable insides to this new person but just know that um at the foundation of it all the relationship that you have with that person is paramount and if you have that connection with that person then the rest of your work is going to be is going to unfold and albeit it may be hard but you will feel safe and you will feel um supported in that relationship i think that's probably the most important 100%. Yeah. So then the first time comes. 
<laughs> so do you get nervous when you're meeting a client for the first time? Do I get nervous? Um, nervous, I whatever. Had... What happens? Like what goes through your mind, I guess? So I try to be prepared. I try to make sure I have like my water and my tea <laughs> and have like my computer because I always use like um, places to take my notes and document. Um, so being prepared, that's something I really prioritize. I, we also, I end our practice. We do the phone intakes, which I think is a really um, sensitive step because it also allows the client to kind of, again, just like give a little bit of background and um, as opposed to just like walking in blind, right? So I think that the phone intake process helps a little bit. But do I get nervous? Um, I don't know if nervous or just like trying to just like transcend myself into like this is like someone who's going to teach me, you know? So <laughs> the only thing I would say about nervousness is, is right now with doing virtual therapy, there's just like um, a little bit of – a lost something's just lost yeah. upon meeting someone for mm -hmm. the first time um because i primarily treat teens they seem like totally okay with it it's cool i tend to like make a little joke i'm like hey it's nice to meet you in this day and age where everything's virtual and they're like yeah whatever <laughs> yeah they don't care they're sitting yeah. on the computer doing school virtually. so yeah just a couple of the new ones i've met but i don't know if nervous i wouldn't i don't not nervous excited i don't know um yeah, I think I'm just kind of questioning, like, is this going to work out? Is this going to, like, how are we going to, are we going to mesh? You know, I, yeah. for me, I want to make, I, I think maybe people pleasing part of me wants to make sure that they're as comfortable and as possible and feel welcomed and, um, you know, feel good being there. So, you know, I, I, I try to do that. So I, I'm like, okay, I just want to make sure that they feel good coming in here um, from the first get go. Yeah. So I think that's for me, that's what comes up. Yeah. As a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also just like, you know, there's a lot of like unspoken things in the therapeutic relationships. Like for me as a therapist, like I know, like I have one right now and I'm like, I can still feel you're just like a little bit closed, but that just like comes with time. So I think again, it's just part of the process. Um, something I wanted to talk about, maybe it was pre first appointment, but um, just the stigma um, that may be um, present in your life or support system like maybe you know you have family members that view therapy as unnecessary um and just know that you know your therapist may prove those individuals wrong um and again just to like trust the process and if you're thinking that therapy could be helpful it likely will be and i mean hello it's 2020 who can't use a therapist Exactly. Right. And it's so wild that it still exists. I mean, I just had a conversation yesterday with somebody and they were like, you know, uh, that they're, somebody else in their life was like, are you telling that person, are you upset that you have to go to therapy? Is that why you're so upset? She's, you know, the person's like, no. What? I know. I was like, hey, I take offense to that. You know what I mean? Um, absolutely not. You know, the person was like, I, I take comfort, comfort in that, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting that... Uh, People, I guess, still have this preconceived notion of what the person that has to seek that out yeah. is like or is like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so first appointment, right? So I would say usually by like appointment three, you kind of know if this is going to work. Gonna work. And again, trust your gut, you know, listen to your insides. It's so funny that you said three because I said that to my husband when we were dating. I said third date, I'm going to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I um. Yeah, I I think that you can you you know within your heart if things are are right and truly trust that. Like if you don't feel that connection, like it's okay to divorce your therapist and advocate for yourself to find something different, you know, new, you know, better. And I, again, I do emphasize like 
do your research and prioritize yourself, right? Like that's a big part of what, you know, we um, advocate for as therapists. Um, and so don't stay in something that you don't feel like you're driving with. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, my third session, she kind of now like, am I going to be able to be open? I love, I have this new client, this is one of my teens. And she like, you know, go through the intake and she's like, okay, I lied about that. And I'm like, she's like, I promised myself I wouldn't lie. And I promised my best friend I wouldn't lie. Right. So like also knowing, like, are you going to really bear all of the right. good, bad and ugly and, you know. There's something I didn't tell you. Right. Yeah. I lied about this. Okay. All right. That's all right. That's cool. I appreciate the honesty. Um, so just know if you're, if you're lying to your therapist, you're lying to yourself too. <laughs> um, so what do you think? What do you, what, um, you know, maybe we could talk about a little bit about the kinds, uh, what they, what kind of therapy you offer and I offer, mm -hmm. maybe other people also mm -hmm. have that, you know, we don't, you know, so what can people expect? What can they look for and how do they find what they need? Yeah, totally. So um, I entered the field with always the goal to treat um, teens and young adults. Um, that was a stage of my life that I had really struggled with. Um, and just from where I orient from is I, I, I feel like I'm de a detective, like what happened and like what created symptoms, right? So I don't really, I'm not like a big like diagnosis person. I'm just more about mm -hmm. like, what are the events that have resulted in these symptoms? Um, and so, and so um, some of the um, theories that I practice from are mindfulness-based and holistic-based um, and brain-based um, through a trauma lens, a cognitive behavioral therapy lens, um, some training in dialectical behavior therapy, although I'm not fully trained in it. I like a lot of the um, techniques and skills that that model um, incorporates. And then So also, what is dialectical behavioral therapy? All right, I'll get there. So as, as, <laughs> as I finish listing okay, all my okay. trainings, um, I also train, I'm trained in um, exposure and response um, therapy for OCD. Um, I, I lovingly say this for all my complicated cases that presented themselves to me last year. Um, I was feeling super stuck on a few of them and was like, I just need more um, non-direct um, therapy models. So I was trained this past year in EMDR, brain spotting, and sand play therapy. Um, so I feel confident in my toolbox. Um, I don't think I messed with anything. I think you're good. I think I got them all. Um, and again, you know, as a psychotherapist that I, I tend to tell clients, like I'm, I'm entering through the front door um, and we're addressing these issues, but I, if symptoms aren't resolving over a couple of months, you know, two, three months, we're still turning over the same issues, then um, that's indicative to me that I need to use um, some of my non-direct um, treatments. And even as I'm saying that, I'm like, it's even, it's even by like the third or sixth sen session at this point that if, if we're still, you know, perseverating on the same issue, I'm like, okay, let me um, utilize some EMDR and brain spotting with clients because um, what happens is when we endure traumatic events, they get stuck in our psyche and um, direct uh, processes like psychotherapy cannot access all of that content. And so um, these non-direct models can help open up those pathways and bring them to the surface so then they can be properly processed and integrated. Um, so, you know, Anne and I are both trained in EMDR and I know um, we both find it to be a huge adjunct to our um, care and treatment. Dialectical behavior therapy. Um, so, God, her name is skipping off the top uh, of my Ms. brain. Miss Marsha. Yeah, Marsha Lennon-Hand, thank you. Um, started this therapy um, 
specifically um, to treat uh, borderline personality disorder. And it is, so dialectical behavioral therapy is Buddhist based and it's very skill based. So, you know, psychoanalysis, psychotherapy, it's more talk based. So um, there's five pillars of dialectical behavior therapy, interpersonal effectiveness, mindfulness based, distress tolerance, radical acceptance. Right, yeah, yeah um, I'm missing one. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, it's, it's each week is a new um, homework skill and um, it's a very, um, it's a very like, uh, I would say like procedural type therapy. There's not like a ton of process. So, you know, I, I enjoy talking to people. I don't want to feel like I'm just the teacher in the room. So I just pull, I like some of the mindfulness based techniques from dialectical behavior therapy. So yeah, that's my pretty r- awesome. That's my ramble. That's good. I wonder what it'll sound like when I listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> it'll sound the way it sounds. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah. So, but and then there, all there's so many other kinds, right, out yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. There's so many other uh, variations of therapies that people act, and yes. um, you know, all these different things. I guess that people offer. Um, I, you know, I have a lot of similar things that I use in my therapies, depending on, I guess, the exposure response prevention. I'm not tr- uh, trained in it, but I do use it with my clients who have OCD. I'm pretty confident in mm-hmm. the skills that I I know, um, you know, and how to uh, work with clients that have OCD specifically in exposure response prevention. Um, therapy. Um, but overall, uh, you know, I pretty much, and I, through a trauma lens, I'm trained in EMDR like you are. And um, I'm a um, clinical licensed trauma professional. I don't know. Oh, something like all that. All the acronyms. All the acronyms, right. Um, and I'm also um, a clinical ADHD professional. What, something like that, too, <laughs> as well, for AD, specifically for ADHD. Um and but you know overall, I think I come from a relational lens. Um, I, I adhere to a lot of the theories of uh, relational cultural cultural theory, um, and uh, yeah, that. So to me, the relationship is paramount, and through the relationship with the client, that's where growth and and I know you are as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where the growth and the healing comes from. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, using the modalities and the things like that um, are huge. Um, like you said, for EMDR, because sometimes, you know, talking back and forth isn't doing anything. So right. we need to kind of go a different way to mm-hmm. open up some of those stuck energies mm-hmm. and um, things that aren't um, moving. But mm-hmm. I do tend to use a lot of me and the person in mm-hmm. the room because, mm-hmm. I, you know, a lot of what happens, I guess, between client and therapist, because it is a very intense relationship mm-hmm. and it can be not with every single one, but with mm-hmm. some specifically can it can be a very intense relationship on both sides. Um, and you know what, sometimes there are enactments, so to speak, you know, what happens between me and the person usually happens outside, (laughs) outside. And it's a reflection of, you know, maybe issues that they were having in family. So if Mm -hmm. it's happening here, I need to kind of say like, okay, well, this is how I feel. And this is what's going on. Is this accurate? So maybe if I'm feeling this way, this person in your life may be feeling similarly. So can we look at that? Yeah. And like, you know, if the foundation of the relationship feels safe, then that conversation can be had 100%. so differently in the therapeutic room versus how it would be had with outside, yeah. a spouse or a parent or a family member. I was having this exact um, experience with a client and I know I had to address something with her and I know had it been addressed with anyone else, she would have gone ballistic. And I just mm-hmm. highlighted, I was like, look how calmly you handled this and look mm-hmm. at your ability to regulate. Um, and I think just kind of like... Um, pittering off into um, a little bit of the relational therapy is like for clients to feel like held, supported, and loved. You know, I say to a lot of clients, I'm like, 
this prof- this relationship is professional. However, it's also personal. Mm-hmm. Like, not only are we a person for them, but they are also a person for us. Yes. And like, what does it feel like to be held, supported, and loved in a therapeutic relationship? And how intimate and vulnerable is that? You know, and, and those things are important to acknowledge and say inside of a room um, with 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 people. You know, one hundred percent. And a lot of these people haven't, you know, heard that they matter. Yeah. Or that they are important, mm-hmm. and that even and when when we say, I think that we internalize them or that we, you know, have thought of them outside of the room. That's yeah. so sometimes so big and so important to people. And I think this thing that I read one time in one of the relational cultural theory books is, um, you know, because we have to look at ourselves, I guess, in the mm-hmm. relationship and monitor our own feelings and things that come up mm-hmm. for us um, is that um, part of their journey is ours too. Mm, absolutely. You know, I love this quote from Erickson, one of the founding fathers of, um, some of the stages of development. Um, life doesn't make any sense without interdependence. We need each other. And the sooner we learn that, the better for us all. I just really like that. I feel like that kind of that's awesome. Capsulates that. Yeah. So again, just kind of coming back to like in choosing a therapist, like knowing like what have they invested in themselves and then in turn in you. So if you have a therapist that doesn't really have like a lens through which they orient from or like a specific you know, clientele that they primarily treat, just be a bit weary. That is my tip. Like you wouldn't go to the podiatrist for an issue with your lung, right? Like, so same with a, um, a clinician. Like if you have an addiction issue, you want to make sure you're going to a clinician who is trained in addiction and, you know, the medical model of addiction and maybe 12 step. Um, they do feel pretty strongly about that. So that's a really important tip. Like know what you're needing, you know, and be your own advocate to make sure that that clinician is equipped to um, treat you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also would just, <laughs> the therapists that are like, jack of all trades, they treat, you know, everything, everything. from two to 85. <laughs> it's like, no, do you, do you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we think about it like there's um, primary care doctors that, you know, treat, you know, they're pediatricians and they treat children. And then, you know, at a certain age, you go see an adult doctor. And then there's geriatric doctors, like similar with therapy. I think like, I stayed with my pediatrician until I was like 19. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a thing that happens. Um, the other thing I want to um, just talk about is how effective is therapy, right? Sometimes I like get the calls from the parents. Well, there's nothing it's better. Not and I'm like, okay, yes. Like, let's look at like when we came in, it was like anxiety was a 10 out of 10. And now it's a five out of 10 on, on an average. And you know, panic attacks were weekly and now they're monthly. So um, one thing I, I think is important is what are your goals? Why are we here? And then also making sure to um, revisit those goals. I would say every anywhere between like two and three months just to say like, what are we doing and are we making progress? Um, and then the other piece, which is we are only one hour of your life typically per week. And so a lot of the work has to be done outside of the therapeutic room. Um, I am a big Most fan of, of like, it, right? yeah, ther- therapy homework um, and just being able to like check in. So it is a goal-oriented approach, right? So it is part process and part education. And it is also part, you know, what is my homework and what am I doing um, to take what I've learned in therapy and apply it to my life outside of therapy. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and I know that sometimes I think us and I know I get frustrated. I'm like, oh, the change isn't happening quick enough. Or, and I, sure. I tend to do that. But yeah. um, I've been learning 
that it depends again, you know, I think it depends on the person that you're treating that sometimes it's not so much what you do, but who you are. Um, and, you know, sometimes you do see you, you do see this amazing um, transformation because of the things and the tools that you give the people and mm -hmm. you see it. But a lot of times it's really, really slow, specifically mm -hmm. with people who have a lot of very, very complicated um, attachment wounds and mm -hmm. traumas. You mm -hmm. know, it's really minuscule mm -hmm. and very, very, very small mm -hmm. and slow. Um, and, you know, the, I go to somebody for, um, you know, uh, to process my cases and she always goes, slow down. You don't mm -hmm. need to, you know, I know you want to fix it and I know you want to like see it. So which part is you or which, and which part is mm -hmm. them, you know, mm -hmm. getting frustrated mm -hmm. here. Uh, and I'm like, it's mm -hmm. me. She's mm -hmm. like, just, just, just be, stop mm -hmm. doing all the time, mm -hmm. you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think also just like, um, you know, you bring up a, a really good point that, you know, part of our audience is, um, therapists, like we are only as good as we are if we are continuing to um, educate and better ourselves as clinicians, right? So never think that we, we can stop learning or that, you know, a training isn't going to help advance our skills or the power of supervision or peer um, support. I think that that's super that's important. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about what it can look like in terms of like working on things outside of therapy. Yeah. So um, I know I'll, I'll just name kind of a, a common one that I work on with a lot of clients, um, a lot of like interpersonal relationship mm -hmm. issues and communication, I think, especially with teens and, and being within family systems. Um, so one thing, for example, is with teens, I'll, um, something will happen. And I'll be like, okay, well, we got to bring your mom in. We got to have a conversation about this. Like this is what healthy communication looks like. And so as we've kind of mastered it in the room and I'm able to kind of like modulate each person like, hey, mom, you got to like mind your tone or like don't come at them with such like aggressive language. As I'm able to observe that the process is improving in the therapeutic room, then I ask, you know, the client and the parent to practice this outside of the therapeutic room and then let me know how it goes. Right. So like that would be an example of like a treatment goal that we've learned in the therapy therapy room that feels safe with someone that's unbiased, just observing the dynamic. And then, you know, how does it go outside the therapy room? And then like, let's, you know, constantly just be like assessing on what's helping and what's not helping. Yeah. Um, because a lot of, so much of what they come in for is interpersonal conflict and difficulty in relationships. Mm -hmm. So th th that's huge, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but you tend to sometimes see that as, as you work on yourself, right. And you, you, you create some healing for yourself. Some of the relationships get a little bit, um, easier yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and then again, just in terms of like, what is my um, responsibility outside a session? So um, I like to do with a lot of clients um, bullet journals. Um, so, you know, habit trackers and mood trackers, um, especially with teens, they're just super creative. And it can be simple things like creating the habit tracker and just identifying 10 things that you do um, on a regular basis that you want to hold yourself accountable to. So like waking up before nine and brushing my teeth and making my bed, you know, and how accomplished they feel when they come in the next week and they can show me their habit tracker and it's all colored in and, you know, all these dates and they feel a sense of pride because they um, stuck to um, a commitment and goal that they made for themselves, right? And just kind of like what that experience is of, you know, being seen and being heard and feeling like their their effort matters, you know, um, I think that that is important. 
Mm -hmm. um, or life is so fast paced that these little things can be easily yeah. skipped over. Yes. And that uh, I'll goes into what I was going to say. Some of the things that I think I teach them to take home is slow down yeah. and create like awareness. That. You mm -hmm. know, like every process, we always like you have to th slow the process down, mm -hmm. right? You, they come and tell you a story. Oh, I got into, the, you know, this mm -hmm. one said this and I exploded and then I did this. And, you mm -hmm. know, it was like this whole, you know, trajectory of events. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, next time, can we slow the process down? Mm -hmm. You know, the person comes in, they say something that upsets you. Okay, can you slow down and not react? Like, can you have a moment in between thought and action? Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of start creating an inner dialogue within yourself mm -hmm. so you're more aware of what's going on. What's going on in your body? Are you getting hot? Is your is your chest pounding? And you know, whatever, what's going, you know, what are the thoughts you're having? So step back for a little bit mm -hmm. and let's observe and be aware of what's happening mm -hmm. and then come back to to this thing and, you know, start creating, uh, start understanding what's happening and then mm -hmm. let's reevaluate that and yeah. go back to that, you know, yeah. with, with more clarity in your, yeah. for yourself. And I think like for you and I as therapists, right? So like we would utilize probably to begin like some more direct models, right? So like cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, psychotherapy. But if we're not seeing like after a period of time that a client is able to regulate or, um, calm down their nervous system, we may then integrate in the therapeutic room, you know, obviously with the client's permission, things like EMDR or brain Correct. spotting or sand yeah. play, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and then um, sometimes, you know, I, 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 I had a couple of weeks ago, a person was about to do something, I mean, I'm not going to say exactly what, that they have, you know, gone to do over and over again, with a, which is a way of coping that's not very good. Um, and they said they came in that they were about to do it and they had, they, she said, I had a little Anna voice in my head <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I stopped myself. Anna-isms, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I stopped myself yeah, and I yeah. didn't do it. So I think when they start to internalize you yes. and the things that they've been teaching yes. you outside of the room, yeah. that's when you're like, okay, good. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I think the other piece is like, you want, you want that person to celebrate your successes, right? So like as a therapist, like show them. You're excited. Like I know my my one client, so proud of him. He was celebrating a year of sobriety this week, and I just you know had a card awesome. on the on the on the couch and it said, "Yay, you!" You know, and it and it's important for um, again in, within the relationship to feel like your progress matters and that it's measurable. And you know, I I every year, and some of my clients like, and someone are like, "Wow, this is a bit. This is this is big." I revisit the intake and I say, "This is where we were one year ago." Can are are you? Are you okay and comfortable looking at, you know, the acuity of where you were when you came in? It can be really powerful for clients to reflect and be like, yeah, I may not be exactly where I am, but I sure as shit am not where I was, you know, 12 mm -hmm. months ago. Absolutely. And I think that that can be huge. Yeah, really effective. Um, okay, another point, um, just like therapy will be as effective as our willingness to um, – open up, be vulnerable, um, look at our own suffering and um, our capacity and openness to change. Um, so, you know, if we come in and, and conversations remain surface, I mean, I tend to call it out. I'm like, this just feels super surface. Like, can we get to the meat and potatoes? Like, um, you know, what is what is the purpose of the relationship? What is the purpose of coming to therapy? What are we doing here? Right? Yeah. So I, think, I think that's an important um, thing to remember when in, in starting therapy, you know, you need to be willing to look at your parts. You need to be looking, willing to look at, you know, also how are you contributing to your own suffering? You know, what, what internally is, are you maintaining or maybe um, unwilling to move off of um, because it's, it's been, you know, a habit, a pattern or a story that you've um, 
been kind of playing out for a number of years, but it is important to look at our stuff and to know, you know, to know thyself. Yeah. Through the, through, through the therapeutic relationship. Yeah. And truly like our wounds are like the best openings, right? Yes. Right. They the roomy quote. You just reminded me. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, darkness is, it's like yes. light is where the darkness comes in something to that effect. But it, truly like when we can get on the other side of some of this really um, arduous and heavy, um, issues, the more um, like magnificent, magnificent and beautiful parts of us are, are then revealed. I do believe that to be true. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have fear of feeling the pain. And I think that's so much of what, you know, what holds a lot of people back is that, you know, you feel a little bit of it and it's overwhelming and it's so, mm -hmm. so uh, unbearable mm -hmm. that you feel like you can't get through it. And I was actually having that conversation yesterday also with something. I'm like, you will get through it you mm -hmm. will survive it mm -hmm. like if you because a person saying that she you know couldn't cry like mm -hmm. wasn't letting herself open herself up every time she felt a tear she would shut it down and i said well, i think you need to like just yeah, let allow it yourself, out. To, allow fall yourself to fall apart it's yeah. you're not going to it's not going to consume you you right. think it will but it won't yeah you'll, you'll get through yeah. it yeah yeah um and yeah no, and keep opening the window of tolerance for the people yeah. that have a really narrow window of tolerance you know? yeah do you want to explain that concept a little more yeah you know we all have kind of how much i guess we can take depending on what we've been through and um you know uh, what happens is that sometimes when we open up uh, neural networks in our mind in our brain in our heart that um you know trigger us or overwhelming or um you know take us back i guess to um different parts of our lives that were hurtful and upsetting, uh, we can go outside our window of to tolerance, meaning, you know, sometimes it looks like a panic attack. Sometimes it looks extreme overwhelm. Sometimes it looks like shutdown, meaning like you can't, um, you disassociate or you leave your body because you can't take the um, associated feelings and experiences that come and flood you. So um, you, you're, you're not capable of managing whatever's happening calmly. I don't mm -hmm. know how else to put it, you know. So I think our job is to, you know, make sure that people, mm -hmm. you kind of have to step out of the window of tolerance to some point to, mm -hmm. to, to make that window grow mm -hmm. a little mm -hmm. more and more and more mm -hmm. and more. Um, you know, that's really a, a big thing, right? And a lot yeah. of people get so afraid. I did that again two weeks ago and I had somebody reach out to me because they were like, they were having a massive panic attack mm -hmm. after we were processing some really, really heavy stuff mm -hmm. that they hadn't looked at for years. Mm -hmm. Um, in the room and it just triggered the person mm -hmm. like uncontrollable mm -hmm. that and person it was so afraid mm -hmm. I said but you got like it it was awful like it was really awful because you went outside your window of tolerance mm -hmm. you talked about you brought up something that you hadn't looked at in mm -hmm. 20 years mm -hmm. you know but it's still there mm -hmm. like it's an iceberg mm -hmm. <laughs> clearly yes this, this tells you something yeah and I think also like um this quote from Riviera Walter um success as a therapist is not Found in doing something for the client, but rather in being something for the client. Yeah. So just, you know, to your point, like holding space while people expand and understand um, their tremendous capacity to face adversity and also to be able to get on the other side of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, cool. So, you know, researching your therapist, understanding your goals, um, checking in on those goals um, throughout, you know, your sessions. Um being open to exploring your own suffering um, and also just kind of, you know, making sure you're doing the work outside of the room. Um, the other thing is, it's funny because I had this conversation with a client this week, like, I was like, hey, you're doing better. Like, you want to like step down a little bit? And I'm like, no. oh, what? what? What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, oh, I'm like, well, you don't have to. I'm going to be here till I'm 85 or 90, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, as a therapist, um, 
and I just think that this is kind of like in the back of my mind from like undergrad or masters. It's like, you know, you're always working towards like, like termination. I don't really believe that fully, Yeah. but I think I'm going to be here in, in, in a lot of my clients' lives forever. I know I feel that way about therapy, <laughs> um, but it is important for us to um, ensure that we're not creating too much dependency on the therapeutic relationship. So, you know, as therapists, I think it's a symphony and a balance of, of this relationship. So making sure that we are there for our clients, you know, through and through. However, they also need to be able to know that they are there for themselves outside of therapy. Mm -hmm. and, and then also just exploring like safe and supportive relationships that they can also rely on outside of therapy. So I think that that's, again, an important part to understand about therapy. Like, doesn't necessarily need to be like an end point, but there tends to be kind of like a bell curve experience where, right. you know, if things are stable in your life, you may um, transition to every other week or once a month. Or, you know, I have a lot of clients that it's like just check-ins when, you know, you're feeling like you need a little tune-up, um, but that like the door is always open. Right, exactly. And yes, a, a lot of times that, you know, you need every week or sometimes twice a week at some yeah. point and then you, you feel better. So you go to every other week and then once yeah. a month and then maybe something you know, happens because life is life and, mm -hmm. and that tends to happen and you need to come back for whatever mm -hmm. reason and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was, I, I don't remember what book it was I read in that there was this woman who went to the same therapist psychoanalyst for like 46 mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And at the end of her life, at the end of the psychoanalyst's life, she actually wrote a, po a poetry mm -hmm. book. She was a poet uh, for her psychoanalyst called The Analyst. Mm -hmm. You could actually buy it. Um, mm -hmm. And at the end of her life, you know, it was towards the end, they were kind of more like just comrades. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, somebody asked her like, what would you go to therapy for for 46 years? She's like, but my life is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. There's always something new to look at mm -hmm. and something more to explore for me. Yeah. So that was never an issue. No, yeah. she, not consistently, but she yeah. would go come back and go. Yeah. And she was like, there's always something new to like explore. Yeah. I think this is also like an important part, like as the therapist, um, and I know I feel this way about my therapist. It's like, what are we getting from the relationship? So like for me, you know, just given my age and then the demographic that I treat, oftentimes I can be, I, I'm almost like an older sibling to some of my teens mm -hmm. um, or in some um relationships it's almost like like we could be friends outside of like, outside yeah. of therapy and just simply feeling like you are like the parts of you are like loved for who you are and sometimes it it it, it you only feel that in the therapeutic room but then how do you replicate outside the therapy room or maybe your therapist is a maternal relationship for you and that's how you heal your relationship with um your mom right so that's also an important dynamic like what am i looking at um that i need from the therapist that i can heal you know, just based on who they are and what they represent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what else? Things to think about when starting therapy. I think we did a talk a lot. Yeah. Do so you want to do some client quotes? Do you want to do some Yeah, myths? we could do some do client quotes. I have a quote, quote, and then I have um, – so we all – we both, I guess, collected um, – quotes from our clients about, well, I asked them what it's like to start therapy, but I just think they just wrote what it's like to be in therapy. So <laughs> I have three. You want to meet or do one and one? Yeah. Okay. Back and forth. Yeah. Okay. The first one says, um, and these are all completely confidential and anonymous FYI. So my first, one of my clients said, going to therapy helps me feel validated and purposeful. I feel fortunate. I find it so easy to open up once I have the right person to talk to. It makes me feel like I could put goals in place and reach them when I'm in my sessions. Love that. Okay, so this is um, one from one of my clients. I know they were excited to participate in this way. And yes, everything was confidential and releases signed, etc. Um, beginning therapy and self-care for myself was really hard for me. 
I come from a family where we keep our problems to ourselves, but I did it. And I'm so grateful that I did for the outlet that, that Jackie has given me. She has allowed me to express my worries, fears, and concerns without judgment. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, another one from one of mine. What it's like to be in therapy is having a living diary, private and intimate, but it gives advice as well. <laughs> but most importantly is your therapist. They console you and make you not only feel that you aren't alone, but realize that you actually aren't alone. Being in therapy is like personally picking that perfect friend mm -hmm. who you can talk to. They allow you to realize that you can take therapy home with you as well. Um, you, the things that you use in therapy can, you, sometimes you can become your own therapist and you can create your own self-talk. Being in therapy is a life changer because your therapists and your relationships make it one. I love that. And I have one more from one of my clients. Uh, starting therapy is taking your first deep breath after being underwater for too long. It hurts for a moment, but the relief that follows when you can finally breathe again is incredible. That's Mm -hmm. I love that one. Yes. Mm -hmm. And my one of my last ones from one, one of my dear clients. I've been seeing a therapist off and on for almost 30 years. I did not go willingly. My parents took me long ago to help fix what they thought had gone wrong. Luckily for me, my first therapist knew better. Our early sessions were eye-opening for me. I expected to sit and listen to someone tell me why all the things I was struggling with, struggling to communicate weren't worth communicating in the first place. Boy, was I wrong. He was the first of many to help me figure out where I fit in the world, and I never felt that much space for me. That never had that much space for me. And that's how it's gone ever since. Every time I've had enough, enough of trying to figure out myself on my own terms, I found another therapist with a compassionate, willing, and empathetic ear. One of the benefits of therapy is that things weighing you down suddenly don't fe suddenly feel lighter and more manageable, in, even if they're neither light nor manageable. And that benefit is often immediate. I never walk out of a therapy room feeling the same same way as I did when I walked in. Life's pressure pressure valve is released between the therapy walls. You can breathe again, think again, see again, and that momentary shift in perspective can make all the difference in how you move forward. As I've come in and out of therapy over the years, I've realized that the work I've done is not as much about overcoming as it is growing, accepting, and evolving into the person that more deeply understands herself. Doing the hard work in partnership with a committed and willing therapist has given me more peace than I could have ever achieved on my own. Love it. Beautiful. Amazing. And thank you to our beautiful clients who are willing to share some of their intimate experiences. Yeah. I have one, a quote <laughs> that I like to, I actually saw this a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, oh, this would be perfect for this podcast. It's by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And the quote is, intimacy is about truth. When you realize you can tell someone your truth, when you can show yourself to them, when you start, when you stand in front of them and their response is, you're safe with me, that's intimacy. That's okay. what I look, I feel like therapy is. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, society, society, Society teaches us that intimacy is this this word that talks about you know relationships, but truly like when we're able to be intimate in in a therapeutic relationship, it means that we're fully allowing ourselves to be seen, all of our raw bits, all of our vulnerable bits, and um, maybe hard, but it can feel safe within the presence of another person. And I think that that quote captured it really, yeah. really beautifully. Yeah. Anything else to think about in terms of starting therapy? 
know. I think even the myths that I had, we talked about really while we were talking. So, yeah. so I'm not even bothering yeah. them because we kind of, um, you know, and again, I think the biggest part is it makes sure that it's the right person for you. You know, some people need somebody who is a little matter of fact and kind of tells totally. them how it is. Some people yeah. need us warm and fuzzy, new yeah. agey kind of woo-woo yeah. thing. Um, and it's 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 what works for you and mm-hmm. how you create that bond, you know? Yes. That's really it. And and again, like your own healing is going to come from from yourself. Like our brains are hardwired um to heal and to be well. And so just know that you have the answers within you. You know, I always say um to my clients, like, thank you for allowing me the greatest privilege of being able to bear witness mm-hmm. to your process. Um and that really is is probably one of the big best gifts of our or our profession, um, you know, just being able to be there. Absolutely. Next time on Two Therapist Tales, please join us as we discuss the 2020 election and any anxiety that you may be experiencing because of it. And our closing quote for this session, um, always remember that for each patient you see, you may be the only person in their life capable of both hearing and holding their pain. If that's not sacred, I don't know what is. So that's Corner Canyon Counseling, and the author is unknown. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for therapy or mental health treatment. Please reach out to a licensed professional or facility if you are struggling and need to talk to someone.